بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار In the previous lesson we completed our discussion of the first right of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that was al-imanu al-imanu bihi al-imanu bihi and the meaning of al-imanu bihi having faith in him was to make tasdiq 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 means to accept as true to accept that he was truthful as an as 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 a person that he is truthful in when when he speaks for example when he co- conveys for example and to accept and believe that whatever he brought is from allah azza wa jal that he himself is truthful and that whatever he brought from allah azza wa jal to believe in that that it is indeed from allah azza wa jal so this means so this is the meaning of al imanu bihi to make tasdeeq of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and likewise following on from that we looked at some evidences from the quran and the sunnah for the obligation in believing in the prophet and to believe in addition to that that his messengership was general to the whole of mankind and to the whole of jinn that it, it was not restricted just to for example the arabs or just to the men as opposed to the jinn so we have to believe in the generality of his message this is part and parcel of believing in the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and likewise believing that he conveyed everything that he was ordered to convey that his message was finalized completed perfected and that he indeed fulfilled his trust and conveyed whatever he was ordered to convey from his lord so all of these elements together they make up the first right having faith in the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so from here now we move to the second right which is an extension of the first right and this is al-haqq al-thani the second right ta'atuhu sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa ittiba'u sunnatihi which is to obey him and to follow his sunnah to obey him and to follow his sunnah now before we proceed and start mentioning some of the various issues related to this right we should point out that just having tasdeeq just having faith in the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as per the things that we mentioned in the first right that would not be sufficient for a person to to have believed in the messenger truly 
or to even have entered into Islam. And the reason for this is because, and we are really entering here now into the actual essence and the reality of what is Iman, what is faith. To illustrate what the point that we want to make here, we can say for example that a man might believe that the messenger is truthful, he might believe that everything that he bought, brought from Allah is true and correct, he might believe that his messengership was for the whole of mankind and jinn, he might believe that the messenger indeed fulfilled his trust, that would still not make him a Muslim or a believer. And this is because tasdiq in and of itself does not equate to Iman. And the proof of this is very clear and apparent in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. By way of example, Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, he knew he was a messenger. He believed he was a genuine messenger. He believed the Qur'an was the speech of Allah, was from Allah But So, as far as tasdiq is concerned, as far as believing that he is a messenger is concerned, then all of that is present. But it did not enter him into Iman, or enter him into Islam or Iman. And that is because there has to be something additional. And that something additional is the action of the heart. The heart. Because the heart does two things. The heart contains knowledge. This is its speech. This is the meaning of the speech of the heart, as we find explained uh, from the Salaf and other than them, those who came after them. That the, that the beliefs that a heart holds is its speech. Your heart is said to be speaking or have speech on the basis of whatever beliefs it is holding. This is its speech. But the heart also has actions. And it is the issue of actions that now is the crucial element in whether a person actually has faith or not. Genuine faith or not, the actions of the heart. And from them, from the greatest of them, the big beginning of them is Al-Inqiyad. Al-Inqiyad, which means compliance. Compliance. Because a man may come along, like we have Abu Lahab, for, uh, 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 Abu Talib for example, and he will say, yes, I believe you are the messenger. I believe the Quran is from Allah Azawajal. I believe that what you are saying is true and correct. I believe that worshipping idols is false and worshipping Allah alone is indeed the truth. I believe that you've conveyed everything, but I can't, I can't leave my religion because it would be disrespectful to my people. So tasdiq is present. He believes in all those things that we discussed in the first rite of al-Imanu bihi which is at-tasdiq and whatever follows, whatever is connected to that. But the action of the heart, there was no compliance. Why was there no compliance? Because an issue from the issues of the world has come in the way of that compliance, has acted as a barrier in front of that compliance. In the case of Abu Talib, it was his fear of his people it was his fear of being criticized 
or for having the religion of his forefathers being dishonored that prevented him from entering into Islam, making inqiyad and obeying and following the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now this is not the only thing. There are other things that can also act as barriers between a person making tasdeeq in an affair, but not acting in accordance with what it requires from him. Other examples, the Yahud, those who are mentioned in the Qur'an, about whom it is said, that they know him, they know the messenger as they know their own sons. Meaning that they know that this is indeed the messenger of Allah. But it was arrogance and pride that prevented them from obeying him and following his sunnah. Why? Because they were anticipating that this prophet to come would be from their lineage. But he wasn't from their lineage. And so pure pride and arrogance came in the way between the tasdeeq which they had, because they knew he is indeed the messenger, and that the Qur'an is from Allah and that he sent to the whole of mankind, and that he indeed, indeed fulfilled his trust and conveyed the entire message, because they said to the Muslims that a verse was revealed upon you, which if it was revealed upon us, we would make it a day of celebration. And the verse that they were talking about was, Al-Yawm Akmaltu Lakum Deenakum, to the end of the ayah. That this day have I perfected your religion for you. They would have made that a day of celebration. So they know that the religion brought by the Messenger was complete. So they knew all of these things. But it was pride and arrogance that came in between that knowledge, that belief, that acknowledgement, and between the inqiyad, obedience, compliance, following the sunnah of the Messenger Likewise, we see the example of Fir'aun in the Qur'an. It is mentioned about them in relation to the signs that were brought by Musa that they that they outwardly denied and rejected these signs, whilst their souls were convinced thereof, inwardly, their souls were convinced, but they made juhud outwardly. Juhud means to, it's like for example when someone, as Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymi explains, if someone borrows you 100 pounds for example, and the time comes to repay that money, and you say basically, well, you didn't, you didn't loan me any money. I deny that you loaned me any money. This now is juhud. You are denying something which you know to be, to be true. This is juhud. So, they denied and rejected Musa al-Islam and his message, despite being convinced in their hearts. Right? So this is what we mean. This is the point that we want to get across. That tasdeeq in the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam does not make you a believer in him until there is inqiyad and there is ta'a and there is ittiba' of his sunnah. And indeed you will find many amongst the non-Muslims even, they will say, I believe Muhammad or Muhammad is, is, is a prophet. I believe that his book contains guidance. I believe that he was from the chain of the prophets. Uh, such as Jesus and Moses 
and I accept and I believe monotheism, it, it makes sense, I believe it is true, but I can't accept Islam because da 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 da, whatever else. I will lose my wealth, I will lose my status, my family will disown me. So basically, a worldly affair got in the way of them making compliance, which is something that would follow on from tasdeeq. So this we have to understand and be clear, because this is uh, th- th- this understanding here is an issue upon which we differ with one of the astray groups and astray sects, the murji'ah. The murji'ah, from the extreme groups amongst them, they said that faith is just something that which is tasdeeq in the heart. As long as you believe Allah exists and the messenger is a messenger, and thereafter it does not matter what you do. This in and of itself is sufficient to make you a complete believer, perfect in your iman, without doing any deeds, without obeying the messenger, without obeying his sunnah, without doing deeds of righteousness. This is basically false. And so therefore, as we move into the second right, الحق الثاني طاعته sunnatihi. We should understand this point very, very clearly. And so the Shaykh says at the beginning of this chapter that uh, this principle, anyone who reflects upon the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, he will find this principle so clearly, so clear and so apparent. It is so clear that it's between his two eyes. When he looks in the Qur'an, he reads the Qur'an, this principle is literally between his two eyes. And this principle is that the messenger is to be taken as a model, is to be taken as one who, who is to be followed, his legacy is to be followed, in his aqwal, his statements, in his af'al, in his actions. And this is the foundation that we find in the book and the sunnah, that whatever is from his speech, whatever is from his action, and whatever he approved of, something was done in his presence and he approved of, that all within all of this is a model which the Muslim ought to follow. And the proof for this principle here is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Ahzab, verse 21, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرِ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Indeed, there is for you in the Messenger of Allah a good model for the one a good model of conduct for the one who hopes in Allah and the last day and remembers Allah often. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned regarding this ayah, هَذِهِ الْآيَةُ أَسْلٌ كَبِيرٌ فِي التَّأَسِّي بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم فِي أَقْوَالِهِ وَأَفْعَالِهِ وَأَحْوَالِهِ وَلِهَذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكُ وَتَعَالَى أَنَّاسِ بِالتَّأَسِّي بِالنَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم يَوْمَ الْأَحْزَابِ فِي صَبْرِهِ وَمُصَابَرَتِهِ وَمُرَابَطَتِهِ وَمُجَاهَدَتِهِ وَانْتِذَارِ الْفَرَجِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ Which means that this ayah is a, is a great foundation with respect to taking the messenger of Allah as a model in his statements, in his actions, in his various states and conditions. For that reason, Allah Taala He commanded the people to take the messenger, to take the Prophet, 
as one who is followed, whose example is followed. And this was specifically in the context of the day of Al-Ahzab, the battle of the confederates in Medina, when all of the different factions, they gathered together against the Muslims, and they made allegiances with each other, the Yahud with the, the Mushrikun, and with others, you know, and they all gathered together. On that day, this ayah is in reference to that day. That take the Messenger of Allah as a model in his patience on that day. His, mutual, his patience, his observance, his striving, and his anticipation of support and victory from Allah Azawajal. Take the Messenger as a model. Indeed, in the Messenger in that situation is a, is a great model of conduct. This is the essence of the statement of Ibn Kathir. So therefore, when a person has Iman in the Prophet as per the first right that we discussed previously, believing in his Nubuwa, accepting as true whatever he conveyed, this yastalzimul amal. Yastalzimul amal. Meaning it makes necessary, it makes binding. One follows on from the other. It demands and requires that a person therefore act upon whatever the Prophet came with. This is something that you know is, 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 is binding. You can't separate the two. If you believe and accept that the messenger is indeed a messenger of Allah, that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah, he, it came from Allah, and uh, he called to Tawheed, and he was sent to the whole of mankind, and that he fulfilled his uh, mission and fulfilled his trust, then all of these beliefs are such that they necessitate that you act upon what he brought. This is like, for example, when a person has knowledge that such and such, uh, you know, this such and such drink is a poison, and he firmly believes and knows this, it necessitates and demands from him that he abandon and avoid consuming this thing. This is common sense. One follows from the other. This knowledge, this belief leads and demands that action. In the same way, this is the nature of tasdiq, as we said before. When a person makes tasdiq, believes that the Prophet is a Prophet, it demands, one, it follows on from it by, by necessity, that he obey his sunnah, that he obey him, and follow his sunnah, and that he, that he act. There must be action. Otherwise, that tasdiq is questionable, because it hasn't led to the actions of the heart. Right, so this is where the whole battle exists between Ahl Sunnah and the Murji'ah, between the action, the actions of the heart. We believe Tasdiq necessitates actions of the heart. It demands that you have inqiyad compliance, and then obedience outwardly. What does the Murji'ah say? Tasdiq in itself is sufficient. This completes a person's faith. This is batil. This is false. This is incorrect. This opposes. The text in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, it opposes reality as well. So, believing in the Prophet, يَسْتَلْزِمُ الْعَمَلَ بِمَا جَاءَ عَنْهُ So, believing in his Prophethood necessitates and demands and requires acting upon what he brought. And so this is from the central elements of the elements that make up belief in the Prophet, Al-Iman bin Nabi Wasallam. And it requires that a person make al-inqiyad wa taslim Al-inqiyad wa taslim That you comply with, inwardly comply with, and outwardly. And you make taslim, you submit to whatever he brought, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And the angle of the, 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 the angle of evidence, the proof for this particular point then, so the first point that we made was that the Messenger in everything, his statements, his actions, his various approvals that he did, the various states and conditions he was in, in the whole of his seerah, that he has been made as a model to be followed. Uswa Hasana, as we mentioned. Then we see that a person's iman cannot be complete, or valid, legitimate, until he makes inqiyad and taslim to what the messenger brought. And the evidence for this is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah An-Nisa, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُكَ فِيمَا شَجْرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتُ وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا But no, by your Lord, they can have no true faith until they make you a judge in the disputes between them and then find in their souls no difficulty, no hardship in what you have judged, in accepting what you... What you have judged, and in making complete submission. So here we now see that the iman, faith, and faith in the Prophet ﷺ cannot be legitimate or valid until a person makes inqiyad and makes submission to what the Messenger ﷺ came with. And the scholars have described this 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 uh, behavior of a believer to be a type of hijrah, a migration to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu which is obligatory upon all of the creation. This is a type of hijrah, not in the physical sense, where the companions made physical hijrah to the Messenger Sallallahu but it's a type of hijrah that every believer, no matter where he is, he makes hijrah to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu in the sense that he makes tahkeem to him that he accepts whatever he judged, and that he makes a full submi- submission and compliance. This is a type of emigration to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So all of this indicates that it is obligatory upon the creation, all of the creation, to follow his sharia, to adhere to his sunnah, to judge to it, and to be pleased with it, and to submit to it. And that a person do not find, does not find in his soul any hesitation, any difficulty from that which he finds to be from the judgment of the Messenger of Allah Rather he submits. And there is no goodness except that he directed his ummah to it. And there is no evil except that he warned his ummah from it. This we know from the hadith of the Messenger Sallallahu nafsi bi yadih. مَا تَرَقْتُ شَيْئًا يُقَرِّبُكُمْ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَيُبَعِدُكُمْ عَنِ النَّارِ إِلَّا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ That by him in whose hand is my soul, I have not, there is, there, is, there is nothing which brings you closer to paradise and distances you from hellfire, except that I have commanded you with it. وَمَا تَرَقْتُ شَيْئًا يُقَرِّبُكُمْ مِنَ النَّارِ وَيُبَعِدُكُمْ عَنِ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا نَحِيتُكُمْ عَنْهِ and there is nothing which distances you or brings you closer to the hellfire and distances you from paradise, except that I have prohibited you from it. So every goodness the messenger brought and every evil he warned from, which indicates the perfection of his guidance and the necessity of making full submission to the sum of what he brought.
And all of this indicates as well. These points that we mentioned, this, this all, they, they collectively indicate as well. That the Prophet ﷺ, he was given knowledge of all of this good and all of this evil, which makes him by virtue of that knowledge, more knowledgeable of that which is in your interests and for your benefit. And for and more knowledgeable than you are of yourself. And then your father is of you. And then what the whole of mankind know with respect to you. Meaning that the messenger by virtue of this ilm and his guidance, then he is more knowledgeable of that which is in your beneficial interest than you yourself are. And then your father is for you. And then the, all that the whole of mankind is for you. By virtue of this guidance that he was given and which he brought. All of this shows the necessity of making ta'a, obeying, and making ittiba', following his sunnah, and making inqiyad, uh, complying, and making taslim, submission. All of these are necessary by virtue of these things which are mentioned about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this then, in essence, is al-haqq thani, the second principle, ta'atuhu, and now we will proceed to look at some of the evidences for this. First of all, evidences for the obligation of obeying him from the noble Qur'an. The noble Imam, respected and revered Imam, the Imam of Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah, Al-Imam Ahmad, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said, نَظَرْتُ فِي الْمُصْحَفِ فَوَجَدْتُ طَاعَةَ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ he said, I looked into the Mus'haf, I looked into the, the, the Qur'an, I observed in the Qur'an, and I found that obedience to the Messenger, I found it mentioned in 33 places. In 33 places, it is basically commanded. Then the Shaykh goes on to mention some of the ayat. Uh, from them is the statement of Allah Zawajal, May yuti ar Rasul, Fakad Ata Allah. Suratun Nisa, Surah 4, verse 80. Whoever obeys Allah has indeed, whoever, whoever obeys the Messenger, then he has indeed obeyed Allah. So obedience to the Messenger is from obedience to Allah Zawajal. You are ordered to obey the messenger because it is obedience to Allah Azza wa Jal. And likewise, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, turhamun. And obey the messenger in order that you may be shown mercy. So to be shown mercy is conditioned, is, 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 is something which follows on your obedience to the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Surah An-Nur, Surah 24, verse 56. And likewise the statement of Allah Zawajal, قُلْ أَطِيُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيُوا الرَّسُولِ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا عَلِيهِمَا حُمِّلَ وَعَلِيكُمْ مَا حُمِلْتُمْ حُمِلْتُمْ وَإِن تُطِيعُوهُ تَحْتَدُوا وَمَا عَلَى الرَّسُولِ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ Say, obey Allah and obey the Messenger. But if they turn away, then upon him is what he was 
tasked with. And upon you is what you have been tasked with. And if you obey him, you will be rightly guided. And there is nothing upon the messenger except to convey plainly and clearly. So in other words, you are obliged to obey the messenger. He is simply made responsible for what for that which Allah made him responsible for, to convey the message. That's all that is upon the messenger of Allah. To convey the message, that's it. Upon you is to obey. So whether you turn away or whether you obey, if you turn away, then, you know, as we see in the next ayah, قُلْ أَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولُ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ Say, obey Allah and, the messenger, and obey the messenger. If they turn away, then indeed Allah does not like or does not love the disbelievers. So these are in many ayat, also from the ayat that can be mentioned, وَمَن يُطِئِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْأَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّكِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءَ وَالصَّالِهِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا Say, obey Allah, or, or, uh, sorry, whoever obeys Allah, whoever obeys Allah and the Messenger, then they are the ones who are with those whom Allah has bestowed His favor from the Prophets. From the Siddiqin, the truthful, from the martyrs, from the righteous, and how excellent they are as company. So all of these ayat that speak about ta'a, obedience. As for ittiba', then we see in the famous ayah, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبُكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُرُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, if you truly love Allah, then follow me. Make ittiba' of me. Allah will then love you and will forgive you your sins. And Allah is ever forgiving, merciful. Likewise, he says, فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ النَّبِيِّ الْأُمِّيِّ الَّذِي يُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَكَلِمَاتِهِ وَاتَّبِعُوهُ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَحْتَدُونَ Believe in Allah and His Messenger, the unlettered prophet, the one who believes in Allah and His speech. And follow him in order that you may be guided. So here then we have clearly, it is very clear as the Shaykh mentioned that it will a person who reads the Quran will find it right between his eyes that ta'a to obey the messenger and to make ittiba' is bayin zahir. It is clear and apparent from the Quran. And so therefore all goodness as we can see from these ayat, whoever obeys, the, whoever obeys the messenger has obeyed Allah. You are obeying Allah by obeying the messenger. If you obey the messenger, there will be Allah's mercy upon you, His rahmah upon you. And uh, whoever obeys the messenger of Allah then Allah will love him and will forgive him his sins. So all of these things and right guidance, all of these things together are from the clear benefits. They are goodness. All of this comes from following the Prophet So this is the first matlab, uh, the first uh, point, evidence from the Quran. The second point is evidence from the Sunnah as evidence for the obligation to follow the Prophet to make obedience to him. Likewise, this is very abundant, very plentiful. From the examples given is the statement of the Messenger, Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. 
Pray as you have seen me pray. This now is a command that you are ordered and obliged to pray as you have seen the Prophet pray. Now obviously we ourselves have not seen the Prophet pray, but we can visualize how he prayed by way of what was conveyed in his sunnah through the companions. The companions saw what he was doing in his prayer. And they narrated all of that so that we have a complete picture of his prayer from beginning to end. And that's why the scholars throughout the ages, they have written and compiled books and works. And like it was in our time, the book of Sheikh Al-Albani, the book of Sheikh Al-Thaymeen, Sheikh Al-Baz, all of them have written works describing the prayer of the Prophet on the basis of authentic narrations. So we are obliged to pray as the Messenger of Allah prayed. And likewise we see from the statements related by Imam Muslim in Sahih, لَتَأْخُذُوا مَنَاسِكَكُمْ فَإِنِّي لَا أَدْرِي لَعَلِّي لَا أَحُجُّ بَعْدَ حَجَّتِي هَذِهِ Take your ritual rites of the pilgrimage from me. For indeed I do not know whether I will be making a hajj after this hajj of mine. So again, just like the prayer, he also commanded with respect to the hajj. That a person take his rituals from the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Likewise, Imam al-Bukhari ta'ala in his sahih, he brings the hadith of Abu Huraira, who said that the Prophet sallallahu said, كُلُّ Everyone from my nation will enter paradise except the one who refuses. And so they said, O Messenger of Allah, woman, woman who, who will refuse? Meaning that this was an affair that they couldn't understand. Who would actually refuse and would not want to enter paradise? How, how can this be? And so the Messenger of Allah, he replied, Man ata'ani dakhal al-jannah, wa man asani faqad aba. That whoever obeys me will enter paradise. And whoever disobeys me, then he has refused. And Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, he commented upon this hadith. He said, The one who is described in this hadith with refusal, وَالْمَوْسُوفُ بِالْإِبَاءِ وَهُوَ الْإِمْتِنَاءِ إِنْ كَانَ كَافِرًا فَهُوَ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةَ أَصْلًا The one who is described here as the one who refuses to enter paradise, then if this person is a disbeliever to begin with, in the sense that in principle he says, I am not going to obey the messenger. Like we discussed previously about those who make tasdeek of the messenger, but they refuse to obey him for a reason amongst the reasons that prevent them from, from iman. Right? So this person, he will not enter paradise to begin with. So he's refused in that sense. وَإِن كَانَ مُسْلِمًا But if this person is a Muslim, so if the person concerned now is a Muslim who is not obeying the Messenger وسلم, not obeying his son, not following his sunnah, then the meaning here is that such a one will be prevented from entering paradise in the sense that he will not be with the first people to enter paradise. Rather, he will be delayed and lagged. He will be from those who will perhaps be punished. Perhaps he will enter the fire and his entry into paradise will be delayed. And so in that sense, he will not end. In fact, this is the meaning 
of many of the ahadith that we read where the messenger of Allah he says la yadkhulul jannah and in whatever action or whatever you know whatever quality right so the person you know who uh, is a namam for example or who did such and such or such and such whatever there are many ahadith which mention about certain qualities or traits la yadkhulul jannah the meaning of this is not that this person will not enter paradise at all rather it means that he will not enter paradise at the same time as the righteous and foremost will enter paradise rather he will be delayed and lagged so in that sense he will not enter paradise at the same time as them and so this is the meaning of those hadith that we find in the sunnah that the entry of that person will be delayed because of his of his disobedience and his refusal to obey the messenger of allah sallam and so therefore those who do not follow the messenger of allah sallam in his prayer in his fasting in his hajj in his you know uh, in all the other affairs and he wants to stick blindly to his madhhab without an ex- valid excuse and the truth has come to him and this person is refusing to obey the messenger of allah sallam and such a person would enter into this uh, hadith ibn hibban rahimahullah ta'ala he said ba'atur rasul sallam that the meaning of obeying the messenger means to comply with his sunnah to comply with his sunnah and he continued and he said دُونَ الْإِحْتِيَالِ فِي دَفْعِ سُنَنِ بِالتَّأْوِيلَاتِ الْمُدْمَحَلَّةِ وَالْمُخْتَرَعَاتِ الدَّاحِدَةِ Which means that obedience to the messenger when we read قَعْتُ الرَّسُولِ This means to comply to his sunnah. Whilst you reject every statement of every person who said something in the religion of Allah that opposes the sunnah. Without resorting or without trying to repel the sunnah by making these false interpretations and by making these futile inventions, right? This obviously here now is a an, a, a reference to what is what is done by the people of bid'ah, the people of the the various factions and sects and groups who make whatever excuses they have, whatever reasons they have of refusing to comply with the sunnah when they know that the sunnah is established and their falsehood has been made clear. And then the shaykh goes on to mention the hadith, the famous hadith of Al-Aribad, Al-Arbad bin Sariya, radiyallahu anhu said, وَعَذَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ مَوْئِذَةً وَجِلَتْ مِنْهَا الْقُلُوبِ وَظَرِفَتْ مِنْهَا الْعُيُونِ فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّهَا مَوْئِذَةٌ مُوَدِّئٍ مَوْئِذَةٌ مُوَدِّئٍ فَأَوْسِنَا so Al-Irbad, he said, the messenger of Allah, he admonished us with an admonition that brought, that made the hearts to shake and that brought tears to the eyes. So we said, O messenger of Allah, it is as if this is a farewell sermon, so give us advice. So he said, أُوسِيكُمْ بِتَقْوَ اللَّهِ وَالسَّمْعِ وَالطَّاعَةِ وَإِن تَأَمَّرَ عَلَيْكَ عَبْدٌ 
I advise you to have the taqwa of Allah, to hear and obey, even if a slave is appointed over you as a, as a leader. For indeed, whoever amongst you lives for long will see great controversy. So upon you is to follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guarded khulafa. Bite onto it with your molars and beware of the newly invented affairs. For indeed, every innovation is misguidance. Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah and others, and it is sahih. In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ has laid down two foundational things, two foundational matters in this far-reaching sermon which he gave to the Sahaba. What are they? Number one, it is al-ittiba'. It is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And secondly, tarqul ibtida'. Tarqul ibtida', which is to abandon all newly invented affairs. And whoever, remember this advice was given to the Sahaba. This was the advice given to the Sahaba because they asked for this advice. They saw that the Messenger of Allah as if he was about to depart, as if this was his final sermon. So they asked for this advice and the Messenger gave them the most appropriate advice. And what is the essence of this advice? Al-ittiba' wa tarqul ibtida' And then this leads us to the next question. Did the Sahaba, did the Salaf act upon this advice? Of course they did. They made ittiba' and they abandoned ibtida'. For that reason we find, when we read from the examples of the Sahaba and the positions that they took towards those innovations which appeared, the Khawarij, the Rafida, the Shia, the Qadariyya which appeared in the time of Ibn Umar and the position he took against them, the Murji'a, and then the students of the Sahaba took the same advice from them of Ittiba' and Tarqul Ibtida' and they stood against those who appeared in their time from the Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, the people of Ra'i, Ahlul Ra'i, the people of Falsafa, the people of Kalam, the people of Tasawwuf, this exaggeration. And so we see this inheritance. It finds its way to the, the Imams of the Salaf. And this leads us now to the third point. So we looked at the evidence from the Qur'an. We looked at evidence from the Sunnah. Now we are going to look at examples of this. Of the Salaf who implemented and who acted upon this right of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which is ta'atuhu wa tiba'u sunnatihi. From Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu, who said, Al-iqtisadu fi sunnah khayrun min al-ijtihad fi al-bid'ah. This is great, mighty wisdom. To be moderate in following the sunnah, that you follow the sunnah in moderation. You're not doing a great deal of deeds, but whatever deeds you are doing, you are sticking to what you know from the sunnah. To be in moderation like this is better than making ijtihad in bid'ah, than striving in bid'ah. This is great amount of wisdom from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu.
He also said, Inna naqtadi wala nabtadi, wa natabi'u wala nabtadi'u, wala nadilla ma tamassakna bil athar. Another great and mighty piece of advice from Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. Indeed, we follow and we do not initiate. Meaning we follow that which we have taken from the Messenger of Allah We don't initiate things from ourselves. And we, f- we imitate and we do not innovate. And we will never go astray. We will not go astray so long as we hold on to the Athar, so long as we hold on to the narration. And this you will see is the distinguishing sign of the people of the Sunnah and Jama'ah, the people who are upon the way of the Salaf in reality, in that everything they are upon, in their belief, in their tafsir of the Qur'an, in their extraction of the rulings of the Sharia, the Ahkam, the Masail Fiqhiyah, you will see that they are always returning back to the Athar, the Athar, the Sunnah of the Messenger, the narrations from the Sahaba, the narrations from the Tabi'een, limiting themselves to that. The Athar, they do not depend upon Aqal, upon reason. They rely upon the Athar. Likewise from Abdullah ibn Abbas, that he said, مَا مِنْ عَامٍ إِلَّا وَالنَّاسُ يُحْيُونَ فِيهِ بِدْعَةً وَيُمِيتُونَ فِيهِ سُنَّةً حَتَّى تَحْيَ الْبِدْعُ وَتَمُوتُ السُّنَةً There is no year that passes by. There is no year that passes by except that the people will revive an innovation therein. They will give life to an innovation therein. And they will cause a sunnah to die. And this will continue until innovations have been given life and the sunan have perished and died. In other words, the affairs will be overturned. And so the, the innovations will be born, given life and become widespread and the sunnah shall, and the sunan shall, shall die. Likewise he said, عَلَيْكَ بِتَقْوَ اللَّهِ وَالْإِسْتِقَامَةِ وَالتَّبِعْ وَلَا تَبْتَدِعْ Upon you is the taqwa of Allah and to be upon istiqama, uprightness and follow وَالتَّبِعْ وَلَا تَبْتَدِعْ You see the Sahaba are giving exactly the same advice that we find the Messenger gave them. Because the hadith of Al-Irbad bin Sariyah what do we find from there? Two things. Al-Ittiba' Alikum bisunnati wa tarkul ibtida. Abandoning innovation where he said, Wa iyakum wa muhdathatil umur. What are the Sahaba advising? This is Ibn, this is Ibn Abbas. Wa tabi' wa la Follow, follow and imitate, but do not innovate. And likewise, from Abdullah bin Umar, radiallahu anhu, he said, "Kullu bid'atin dalalatun wa in ra'aha nasu hasanatan." Every innovation is misguidance, even if the people consider it to be something good. It is misguidance. And likewise, on Hassan al Basri, rahimahullah taala, he said regarding the ayah that we mentioned earlier, "Qul in kuntum tuhibun Allah, fatabi'uni yuhibukum Allah." The ayah in which Allah mentions, if you truly do love Allah, Al-Hasan al-Basri mentions the context 
of how this ayah was revealed because he learned this from the Sahaba. He said, كَانُوا يَقُولُونَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِنَّا لَنُحِبُّ اللَّهِ They used to say to the Messenger of Allah, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we love Allah. Indeed we love Allah, we love our Lord. فَأَرَادَ اللَّهُ أَزَّ وَجَلْ أَنْ يَجْعَلَ لِحُبِّهِمْ إِيَّاهُ عَلَامَةً So then Allah جل, He wanted for there to be a sign of the truthful love of Him. What was that sign? He revealed it in the ayah. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي If you truly do love Allah, then make ittiba' of me. Make ittiba' of me. So ittiba' of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is, is the condition of someone loving Allah azza wa jal. This is why this is the principle with us. And you will find it with all of the salaf that we don't look at a person and see how much tahajjud he is praying and how good his manners are and you know and so on all those things which are from the righteous things that a person might do that any person might do but we look at ittiba' we look at his speech we look at his action we look at the way that he worships we look at his methodology in da'wah when we see all of that is in agreement with the sunnah, we know this person is a follower of the sunnah, is one who loves Allah Azawajal. But as for when we see, like we see from these people, from the extreme Sufis and other than them, the outward apparentness we see from them, ibadah and zuhud and so on and so forth. And then we see them holding beliefs, invoking the dead, and not abiding by the sunnah. And acting upon many, many innovations which, would, which were unknown to the companions. This person, we are, we are not deceived by this person's apparent piety. The apparent piety is not a sign that a person is a muttabi'. For that very reason, we see um, uh, from the Salaf saying, for example, that if you see a man walking upon the water, then do not be deceived, do not be deceived by him. I mean, if you see a miraculous thing, that a person is walking on the water, whilst this person is a person of innovation, do not be deceived by him, by, by this amazing, miraculous feat. And so, this came to the awareness of Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah because it was his, one of his teachers who said this, and he said, indeed, he has fallen short Rather, if you see a man flying in the air, then do not, you know, do not be deceived by him. So even if a man flew in the air, and this will appear to be some sort of miracle, even then we are not deceived by this man, until we know that his, his aqidah is the aqidah of the sahaba. His ibadah is in accordance with the sunnah. His methodology in the way he speaks and gives da'wah and he, whatever else, that it is in accordance with what the Messenger of Allah what he brought. So with us, the principle is al-ittiba'. This is a crucial point to understand in all of the various affairs. That's why when we look today, and we see all of these jama'at, and all of these groups which are out there, all of these groups and centers and masajid, and factions and sects and groups and organizations, they're out there, they're claiming to be calling to Allah, 
claiming to rectify the ummah, all, the, all of these claims mean nothing to us. Because these claims are just like the claim that was made in the time of the, of, of the Sahaba. Indeed, we love Allah. We love Allah. But Allah wanted to make a sign for the truthfulness of that love. And that was Al-Ittiba'. So likewise, with all of these groups who make this claim, that we are working for Allah, we love, we love Allah, and all of these grandiose claims, we are trying to rectify the ummah, we are trying to establish Islam, we try, all of these claims mean nothing. Rather it is ittiba' Your belief, your speech, your action, your methodology, your da'wah. All of the, these things are evaluated by what we know from the Sahaba. So we do not, we do not, we do not appeal to emotions. Our criterion is al-ittiba' Where are we taking this from? We are taking it from the Sahaba. Where did the Sahaba take this from? They took it from the Messenger of Allah Likewise, from Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his famous statement, he said, مَنْ اِبْتَدَعَ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ بِدْعَةً يَرَاهَا حَسَنًا Anyone who introduces into Islam an innovation which he deems to be good, then he has claimed, فَقَدْ زَعَمَ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا خَانَ الرِّسَالَةً then he has claimed, he has made the claim that, the, that, that Muhammad was treacherous to his trust of messengership. Because Allah has said, This day have I perfected the, for you your religion. So whatever was not religion in that time cannot be considered religion this day, in our time. In the time of Imam Malik. So any person who introduces something into the religion of Islam that is not from it, then by the tongue of his action, by the tongue of his disposition, he's not verbally saying it, but his action is speaking, it is saying that the messengerism did not fulfill his trust. Because here I am bringing something that he didn't bring. So obviously he could not have fulfilled his trust. This is what the person is basically saying by way of his action of innovating something into the deen of Islam. And there are also some statements of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullahu ta'ala with a similar meaning, the meaning of that Allah has not made for any man the same status and the same position that he gave to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No man has been given anything like that. Therefore, all of creation are obliged to follow him. And two, it is obligatory for them to make ittiba of him. This is the essence of his, uh, essence of his uh, statement. And from Zahal bin Abdullah al-Tustari, who said, Alikum bil athari wa sunnah. Upon you is to follow the athar, the narrations, and the sunnah. فَإِنِّي أَخَافُ أَنَّهُ سَيَأْتِيًا قَلِيلٍ زَمَانٌ إِذَا ذَكَرَ الْإِنسَانُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَالْإِقْتِدَاءَ بِهِ فِي جَمِيعِ فِي جَمِيعِ أَحْوَالِهِ ضَمُّوهُ وَنَفَرُوا عَنْهُ وَتَبَرَّأُوا مِنْهُ وَأَذَلُّوهُ وَأَهَانُوهُ This is a great and mighty statement. He said, Upon you is the Athar and the Sunnah, for indeed there will come a time, in a short while, in a very short time, there will come a time when a man when he mentions the Prophet ﷺ, when he mentions to follow him in all of his you know, situations, they will revile him, they will, they will censor him. 
They will rebuke him. They will make the people to flee from him. They will free themselves from him. They will humiliate him. They will disgrace him. In other words, a man who calls to making ittiba, making iqtida of the sunnah of the Prophet this man will be humiliated and disgraced and be warned against. And indeed, this, this, we've seen this in history. We've seen this in history. Imam Ahmad was a man who called to the sunnah. They tried to disgrace him, humiliate him, have him killed. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he came and he tried to connect the ummah back to the salaf. After all of the sects of innovation, the Jahmiyyah, the philosophers, the Rafida, the Khawarij, they had come in between the later generations and the heritage, the legacy of the salaf. He came, he connected the ummah back to the salaf, back to making ittiba. What did they try to do? They tried to have him in prison, tried to have him killed. They spread all sorts of lies against him, and so on and so forth. Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab, same story. He tried to call the people to making ittiba of the Rasul. What did they do to him? And the same with Shaykh al-Albani, when he opposed the various jama'at, and ordered the people to go back to the way of the salaf, what did they, 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 they do? They did the same thing to him. So the point being, that every person who is a caller to the sunnah and calls to iqtida and ittiba, then this is what will this is what happens. This is from the 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 the, the, the trials and tribulations that follow on from that. And likewise, Al Hafidh ibn Abdul Bar in Jami' Bayan al Ilm he said, "Ma ahdathu, ma ahdatha, ma ahdatha ahdun fil ilm shay'an." No person introduced something into this knowledge except that he will be asked about it on the Day of Judgment. If it agrees with the Sunnah, he will be safe. And if not, then it will be harm and ruin for him. And likewise, Al-Imam Uthman bin Sa'id bin Darimi from the great imams of the Salaf, he said, This is a great statement from uh, Darmi. Indeed, knowledge isn't just plenty of narrating and frequent narrations. This is not knowledge. Rather, knowledge is something that Allah puts into the heart of a person. It is nur that is entered into your heart. But from its condition is that you make ittiba and you flee from following desires and innovations. This is the true nur. The true knowledge, true ilm, isn't just by reading plentiful, hearing lots of narrations, hearing lots of lectures. This in itself isn't really the ilm. The ilm is something that Allah puts into the heart of a person and it remains ilm so long as that person is determined to make ittiba and abandon ibtida. To follow the athar, follow the sunnah and to abandon innovations. This is the ilm. And uh, likewise there are other statements from uh, along a similar line from Ibn Qudama. And we'll finish inshallah from a statement with uh, Ibn Al-Qayyim. Rahimahullah ta'ala in light of everything that has been uh, mentioned. Uh, in fact, there's a narration here from Abu Aliya, the Tabi'i, 
Rahimullah, he was asked a question. Ihdina siratal mustaqim. Ihdina siratal mustaqim. He was asked about this statement. And Abu Al-Aliya, you know, he was from the great Imams of the Tabi'een. He said, This is who Rasulullah Wasahibahu min ba'dihi Abu Bakr wa Amr. Meaning this ayah, Ihdina siratal mustaqim, siratal ladhina alamta alayhim. This ayah is the messenger of Allah and his two companions, Abu Bakr and Umar. So this likewise, when we are making this, uh, repeating this ayah, we are, make, we are implying this ittiba' this ta'a and ittiba' of the messenger, and likewise of his, of, of his companions who followed in his, in his path. And then the person who asked this question, he then came to Al-Hasan Al-Basri, and said and, and informed him of what he had heard from Abu Aliya. And he said, Sadaqa wa Nasaha. Indeed, he spoke truthfully and he gave good advice. And finally, I'll paraphrase a statement from Ibn al-Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And so basically, in light of everything that we've discussed regarding this right of the Prophet, Ibn al-Qayyim sums up the whole thing and he says that we know by necessity that we know that the servants have a need which is greater than every other need and this need is to have knowledge of the Prophet and have knowledge of whatever he brought and to then believe in that whatever he informed us and then to obey him in all of that because there is no path to happiness and success neither in the world nor the hereafter, except through the messengers. True success for the whole of creation is only through the root of the messengers. And so therefore this shows that the need of the people for the messengers and having knowledge of what the messengers brought is above every other need, above every other science, above every other knowledge. And then he continues, there is no way to know the good from the evil, the tayyib, from the khabith, in detail, except through the messengers. And whatever they brought, because they are the scale and the balance upon which the statements, you know, through their statements, through their actions, through their manners, are the actions and statements and manners of all of the people weighed. And by following them, making mutaba of them, are the people of guidance, Distinguished from the people of misguidance. So this shows that the compelling necessity that everybody has towards them is greater than the need of the body for food and drink. The body of the body for food. Sorry, than the need of the body for its soul. The need of the body for its soul. And for the need of the eye to light for it to see. And the need of the soul for its life. That need upon the messengers is above every other need. So what need is there? What want is there? That has been made obligatory? That has been made obligatory? Except that the need of the servant for the messengers is even greater by a great deal. And then he continues and he says, indeed the happiness and the success of the servant in these two lives, here and the hereafter, is connected to the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. And so therefore it is obligatory upon everyone who wants to be sincere to himself, who wants to advise himself, and, and loves that he should be saved, 
and his soul should be happy that he have knowledge and come to know the guidance of the messenger and his seerah and his affair and to have knowledge of that which will remove him from those who are ignorant of the messenger such that he will then be entered into the ranks of his followers and his party and his his meaning of the messenger and so the people in this respect meaning the people in terms of how much they strive to try to be from the followers of the messenger they are those between those who are just mustaqil or mustakthir or mahroom they are between those who are totally pre- prevented and prohibited from that and there are those who follow it in a small amount and there are those who follow it in a large amount but the bounty in all of this is with Allah he gives it to whomever he wills and Allah indeed he is the possessor of the great bounty so this concludes the discussion of the second right of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and as we see that this is directly connected and follows on by necessity from the first right tasdiq of the messenger and those specific things necessitates that you make ittiba and you follow him and making ittiba and following following him is the criteria is a true criterion of a person who genuinely loves Allah azza wa jal so we'll conclude uh with this amount for today's lesson inshallah ta'ala and this leads us to the next right of the prophet sallallahu on top of tasdiq and iman and on top of ta'a and ittiba there is something else which is to have love of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and so inshallah ta'ala we will discuss that in the next lesson in the uh, two weeks time inshallah um we just have a couple of questions that were sent they're not quite related to the topic um but uh so before we break for maghrib in about uh, 20 15 20 minutes uh, the first of those questions is that due to the many doubts which are thrown at muslims uh, there are a number of questions basically the first question is how the quran is a miracle for the people who don't understand arabic because we cannot see or understand the challenge of the quran so basically the question is how can we treat the quran as a miracle for those people who are not arabic speakers for the non muslims who don't speak uh, uh arabic and who don't know arabic and so how how can it be a miracle for those people um unlike us for muslims who don't understand the miracle of the quran the miracle of the quran is the greatest miracle given to any prophet or messenger and the miraculous nature of the quran is not limited to any one particular thing rather the miracle of the quran has many multiple different angles to it and the miracle or the linguistic element of it is just one of those many elements so the language and the style and the you know the the structure and the form and the beauty and so on and so forth of the quran is something that clearly only a person who is versed in arabic would understand and that's why the arabs who were the masters of oratory of speech because arabic wasn't really a written language it was a spoken language and they were masters of oratory meaning of the art of 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 speech eloquent speech you know in poetry or prose or whatever 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 it might be 
And so when the Qur'an was revealed, they immediately understood that this is no ordinary speech. Because of their, because they are the masters in the language. So clearly, to appreciate the linguistic mir- miracle aspect of the Qur'an, then you have to have you know, uh, a knowledge of Arabic to a, certain, to a certain degree. However, there are many other things besides the linguistic element of the Qur'an. In fact, even just a person listening to the Qur'an, it's just even its beauty and its impact upon the hearts and the souls, that in itself is a miraculous aspect. Likewise, from what the scholars mention, the akhbar, the information that is brought in the Qur'an, there are miraculous elements in that. Likewise, the ahkam, the rulings in the Qur'an, and their comprehensiveness, and their consistency, and their wisdom, and everything which follows on from a, a study and the discussion of the ahkam, the rulings, that in itself is also a miracle. Likewise, what the Qur'an commands of all of the lofty virtues and the lofty qualities and the noble uh, traits and so on and so forth and how it inculcates this within the person, what it calls to, that in itself is, is, is miraculous. Likewise, the, the way, the things that Allah brings attention to of the ayat in the creation, the signs in the creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the, the oceans, the clouds, the rain, the winds, the mountains, and all of the various other things that we are informed of, uh, in that is a, is, is, is a miracle as well. So the miracle of the Qur'an is not limited only to the linguistic aspect, rather the scholars mention many different angles and facets to the Qur'an, and a study of all of them will indicate the miraculous nature of the Qur'an, and combined together, they indicate the great miraculous nature of the Qur'an, so the issue is not limited only to the Arabic necessarily, rather, although this is obviously uh, the, 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 the foundation of it really, because without the Arabic, you know, a person simply cannot grasp the, 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 the reality uh, of, of the meanings and the eloquence and the beauty and the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. But the, but the miracle aspect of the Qur'an is not limited only just to the linguistic elements, rather it relates to the information, information contained therein, the rulings presented therein, uh, and you know so many different uslub and methods, uh, as the scholars themselves uh, discuss. So yes, the Quran is a miracle. To appreciate that miracle linguistically, obviously, uh, would require knowledge of the Arabic language. But there are other elements as well, which are also miraculous uh, uh, in their own right. But combined as a whole, they indicate the miraculous nature of the Quran. The second uh, part, which I think follows on from uh, the first question, um, the, the question is really, we know that there are certain prophecies made by the Prophet ﷺ, and we know that there are certain affairs of the unseen, or what are referred, or what are referred to as scientific miracles. Uh, how do we know that they are not from the jinn? That it was the jinn who informed? This is probably a shubha from some of the uh, non-Muslims, I guess that the jinn were informing about you know, certain things that are mentioned in the Qur'an and you know, other kind of discoveries and whatever. This is a shubha which is brought by, I guess, some of the uh, non-Muslims. Now really, to be honest, this, um, this situation arises because we have ignorant, ignorant Muslims who are using a method 
to invite non-Muslims to Islam, but they are using a method which has innovations and great mistakes within it. And this is one of the great trials and tribulations of the late 20th century and the early 21st century. And this trial and tribulation is that a people have come along and they've seen, they've been amazed and dazzled by what is with the non-Muslims of their sciences, their alleged, <coughs> <coughs> their alleged sciences. So these alleged sciences or these discoveries which they allegedly made in the early to the mid 20th century when they started laying down the foundations of their belief system regarding <coughs> the universe and uh, the solar system and the Big Bang and so on and so forth. So they became amazed with all of this and they decided or they saw that we will make this scientific discovery to be a foundation in calling the non-Muslims to Islam. So we will impress them with what we find in the Qur'an of foreknowledge. This is what they say. This is the basic idea. And so then what they began to do is they began to take, they began to exaggerate wildly. They did not go back to the tafsir of the Salaf or the Sahaba, but they took certain ayat and began to put meanings into those verses, which those verses do not contain. And they then tried to make them fit with the alleged discoveries or the claims of the modern scientists. So now all of a sudden we see that the Big Bang is in the Qur'an. Now we see that the expansion, the alleged expansion of the universe is in the Qur'an. Now we start finding all these theories, now we find that the speed of light is in the Qur'an. And we find that dark matter is in the Qur'an. And dark energy is in the Qur'an. And all this nonsense, distortion of the book of Allah, lying upon Allah from these people, Zakir Naik, from these people, Hamza Tzotzis, all these people who are using the, or who used the Kalam cosmological argument, which relies upon the Big Bang, that the universe had a beginning, and the Big Bang is batil, it is false, it is pure conjecture, and it is, it is, uh, uh, you know, it is batil, that's a different uh, topic altogether. There are many of these people, there are all these people out there, and they have fallen victim to this uh, method, and to cut a long story short, what we should know and understand, Ya Ikhwan, is that the sciences of the disbelievers, especially in two fields of the origin of the universe and the origin of man, it is pure conjecture and pure speculation and pure falsehood, all built upon hidden assumptions. All built upon hidden assumptions. By way of example, all of the signs of the 20th century to do with the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, and so on and so forth, 
all of that science is built upon the is built upon concealing the fact that the science of the previous century has proven or proved conclusively that the earth is not moving the science of the 19th century proved proved that the earth is not moving it is not moving the earth does not move and the science of the 20th century is all built upon distorting physics distorting true scientific inquiry in order to conceal the fact that the earth is not actually moving and so this this is where all of the einstein relativity phys- theoretical physics mathematical models big bang expansion gravity dark matter all of this is just is a fairy tales they're inventing ideas and concepts through mathematical trickery mathematical witchcraft it's this is what i call it. i call it mathematical witchcraft this is what the philosophers used to do that shiv sanabim temi was criticizing that they think of things in their mind which exist only in the mind and then they treat them to be as if they are actual real things in external reality and this is the same thing of what the modern astronomers are doing they're not astronomers they are witch doctors they are voodoo people this is what they are but they are but they are doing something not with chemicals but with mathematical trickery right they are thinking they are they are thinking of things in their mind which exists only in the mind then they are proving it through theoretical mathematics and this is something they will admit you they will say that basically all of modern astronomy has to be built upon mathematical theory because we don't have a control experiment we don't have another big bang we don't have another creation of the universe to observe and analyze so everything is mathematical theories and models this is the crux of everything that they've built in the 20th century it is all conjecture assumptions and then proven made real by clever use of mathematics so anyone who goes and tries to prove the quran has scientific miracles whilst relying upon the scientific findings of the 20th century he is a jahil he is an ignoramus and he will end up lying upon the, in fact indeed they, they have actually started they, they are lying upon the book of allah azawajal zakirnik he lies upon the book of allah azawajal he lies when he says that in the quran there is the universe expanding he lies when he says that in the quran there is the big bang all of this is kadhib it is a lie upon allah azawajal so coming back to the to the question the question was that why are these shubuhat why are the non muslims spreading these shubuhat they are spreading these shubuhat because the muslims themselves have used a wrong methodology because they are ignorant of of these realities so when you start exaggerating in the scientific miracle and trying to impress the non muslims that their science is in the quran whilst their science is full of conjecture and nonsense and falsehood and lies then you then you're going to fall then you're making this is a recipe for uh for the non-muslims to come back and start attacking uh, islam and confusing muslims and spreading so many shubuhat so um obviously we believe that there are miraculous aspects in the quran uh, we believe in prophecies and all of this is revelation from allah azza wa jalla and as for the claim of that this came from the jinn this is just pure speculation 
Uh, this is just one of many claims made by the non-Muslims that he's mad, that he's possessed, that uh, you know stories are told to him morning and evening. It's the jinn, uh, hallucinations. He makes them up. He took them from the Jew. All of these things, they are the well-known shubahat used by the Orientalists and you know uh, other than them to try to explain the, the Quran, to try to explain the Sunnah. Where did this come from? All of these have been answered. They've been dealt with. They're answered in the Quran itself. They are rejected and denied in the Quran itself. Um, so, um, so that's just something that we should be aware about because the issue of scientific discoveries was mentioned in the question. Do not fall victim to the alleged scientific discoveries of the non-Muslims because most of the science is built upon pure speculation. Especially in these two fields, origin of the universe, origin of man. As for the hard sciences, the sciences that give us, you know, the ones that bring benefit, like the, you know, the, 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 the hard physical sciences, the electronics and all the rest of it, of course, this, this, is, this is beneficial science. We are speaking about the speculative sciences that they, you know, which, which their worldview is built upon, evolution, Big Bang, and on top of that, you know, underneath that is the atheism. All of that is just speculation. And a person will fall into mistakes if he starts believing that stuff. And, um, you know, basically what they're trying to do is your physical senses are telling you one thing. They want you to disbelieve in your physical senses. This is what they're telling you. They're telling you that everything you're seeing is just an illusion. Right? You don't feel the earth move. You see the sun, moon, stars rotating, daily, you know, rotating. This is what you see. And it's what you feel, it's what you perceive, this is what Allah tells you in the Qur'an. It's the sun that moves. They want you to believe that you are deceived, your, your eyes are being deceived. And then they want, to, want you to believe their conjectures. They want you to believe their lies and their fabrications, which do not have any empirical evidence whatsoever. It is all assumption, conjecture, make-believe. But it's just done in such a sophisticated manner with all the equations and whatever else, that a person is deceived and thinks it to be, well, they must know what they're talking about, it must be true. But it's not. When you dig and you study and you look at the history of all of this, it is clear that this is just, this is just uh, conjecture. So, uh, that was the question. I'm not sure whether the answer has uh, answered the issue that was raised uh, about uh, how a person came to know this information. Uh, and the shubha regarding that, the shubha regarding that has been answered in the Quran already. Ambihi jinna, you know, is he is he, uh, or is he mad, or is he possessed, or is, does he have possession? All these things have been mentioned in the Quran. They've been anticipated. They've been answered in the Quran. Uh, with with that, we'll conclude our, our lesson there today. It's time for maghrib. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu alaihi wa sallam.